Turn to your Bible first to 2 Timothy 3.5. 2 Timothy 3.5. We are going to start there. Once you get to 2 Timothy 3.5, if you would kind of put a little uh, a sticky note or place marker or whatever works for you, and uh, then go uh, to 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through 18. We're going to start with 2 Timothy 3.5. Then we are going to jump us in uh, to 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 17. And we'll read the scriptures in just a second. But just kind of as an introduction and as a little bit of a backstory, let me tell you where this message is coming from. I, I've been, this morning's message is a message that I've been kind of sitting on and, and just kind of quietly working out in my heart for about six to eight weeks. Um, I knew at some point I was going to preach it, didn't know when, didn't have an agenda when. I just knew that at some point God was going to say now and, uh, and, and I was going to preach it. But it, it, it's one of those things that's quietly God has just been working through me as I, as I pray, as I study his word, as I, as I just reflect and meditate. And, um, and, and, and just something that's, that's kind of been bubbling up in me. And so when Pastor John came to me Tuesday and he kind of said, hey, I'm going to be in 365, and I'm also celebrating my uh, anniversary. Would you be willing to preach? I mean, it was almost like at that moment, God just came up and said, now. And I said, yes, I will do that. So um, also as way of introduction as well, this is, uh, is going to be an in- interesting message because it is birthed a little bit out of my study of the Scripture and out of something that I see kind of happening uh, within our culture as well. Uh, and uh, by saying that, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying this is going to be a culture piece where I'm going to talk and just rail about culture and how bad it is and how when I was younger, we used to walk in the snow backwards one, you know, both ways to be near Jesus. I mean, no, 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 no. It's not going to be anything like that. Um, but um, something that I'm seeing is that when we present the gospel message and we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's, I'm seeing more and more just overall, not, in this, not, in, not so much in this body, but just over and, uh, uh, overall, I'm seeing an element of the gospel message that is being diminished, um, that is being swept aside. Uh, and uh, if it is talked about, it's, it's maybe glossed over a little bit because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. We might just talk about it for a second and then kind of sweep it away. And, and, um, but God's really just been laying on my heart just to speak on it. So here's where we're going to start is um, just the kind of the verse that really just launched everything for me for these last couple of weeks has been 2 Timothy 3, 5. And here was the Apostle Paul. This is what he said about certain people. He said this. He said, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He said that there are people who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. I don't know why, but one day when I was reading that, that just struck me as funny. Because, and this is Drew's way of processing this, if I'm going to go through all the effort to at least halfway appear godly. I'm going to want the power. If I were to ask anybody in here, if you were offered power, would you deny it? Would you say, no, I don't want it? I don't think anybody in this room would. I know I wouldn't. So why would someone go to all the, all the effort to appear godly, but would actually deny the power? Because when, in, in having power, especially if we're talking about from God a good thing, why, why would someone say, God... I really want to be godly, just kind of like you. And I'm going to begin to put some of those things on my life, but when you come to give me power, when you come to infuse me with a strength that is not not my own, no, I don't want that. That That does not make any sense to me whatsoever. And even when I think about what power is, I'm not talking about necessarily some, 
you know, we, we, we think about power, and we think about superheroes, and all of a sudden Iron Man suit's going to come and kind of clamp onto us. We can fly away, or, or all of a sudden we're going to say something along the lines of, you know, you won't like it if, I, if I'm angry, and muscles kind of grow, and we become the Hulk, and Hulk smash people. That's not what I'm talking about. But there is a power, and I'll tell you how it was presented to me in my upbringing. I, I grew up in church, and, and any time I heard this scripture, what I heard was, you know, well, they're obviously just denying the power to do God's ministry here on the earth. And yes, Jesus Christ did say of the Holy Spirit that when he comes, you will be endued with power to do the ministry. But it, the context, the context of this scripture has nothing to do with doing ministry. So again, we go back to what is this power and why would people deny it? Why would people go to the effort to be godly, but then to, when it comes time to have the real substance that comes from God, we would say no. Surely there's something else to it. So what is the power that led me to our next scripture? As I just began to study and pray and everything else, it led me to the next scripture. In 1 Corinthians, it said this. Verse, uh, chapter 1, starting with verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Today I'm going to be talking about the power of the cross. See, when we talk about a form of godliness, let's apply that lens to the culture with which we live. Because I hear stories of people say that our, our, our culture is getting worse and worse and worse it's right, but I'm also seeing a pattern and a trend where our culture is getting more and more religious. You'll go out to the street and you'll talk to people, and people have no problem, no problem. You talk about a form of godliness, no problem believing that there's a God. They have no problem if you, if you start talking to them about how God loves. They have no problem talking with that. You'll, you'll, you'll have people agree with you. You'll have people sit down with you, invite you to their, to their house as long as you're talking about, hey, God loves you. There are even people who... They have no problem. You run into no problems with people if you do the narrative of, well, we're all God's children, or the narrative of even Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was a baby, or he's resurrected, right? Or that Jesus Christ went around and loved people and did good, he was a friend of sinners, all that stuff. You have no problem if you bring those narratives in when you're talking about your faith. But something happens, and it gets messy, and it gets complicated, and it gets uncomfortable, when all of a sudden you start talking about the cross and the message of it, we're slowly beginning to lose that narrative of what the cross means for our life. And yes, people will say, yeah, I, I get the cross. Jesus died on it because he loved me or whatever, but there's more to it. There is a message in that cross and in the message of the cross that is very uncomfortable to us. And as I studied the scripture and I looked in the New Testament for references about the cross that, that didn't necessarily have uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that they little past that in the New Testament, I find some very interesting references about the cross that are, that's very uncomfortable at times. So today we're going to talk about the cross because here's the thing. According to 1 Corinthians, that's the power. People have no problem having a form of godliness, but they will deny the power, the infusion of God to actually go and live this life and live it well because they will deny the message of the cross. A lot of our social hangups that we're seeing happening happen because people speak the truth and love about the cross and 
just makes people uncomfortable. But here's the thing that I'm realizing as well is that for every message about the cross, for every verse about the cross that may make me a little bit uncomfortable, there's also a promise to it, which gives me power and gives me freedom to walk uprightly with my God and to rule in this life. Today, it is not my intention just to stand up here and to spout out a message that makes everybody just mad and uncomfortable. That is not my intention. But God has laid it on my heart that today I am to speak about the cross. This message is uncomfortable. This message is a little bit offensive. But I'm going to make you two promises. The first promise is that as I talk about the cross and how it applies to our life, I'm not just going to give you Drew's opinion. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, more than just the two that we just showed on the screen. Just so that it can't be said to me, well, Drew just stood up there and gave his opinion. No, no, no. I'm going to give you scripture. Here's the second part. As we talk about the cross and some of the scriptures that may make us uncomfortable, my promise to you is that I won't just stop there. All too often, again, not in this place, all too often in general, we'll bring up uncomfortable messages about the cross, and then we'll stop there. But again, every time, and I'm going to show you this in the scriptures, that an uncomfortable message about the cross that maybe is a little bit offensive to us happens, right next to it. It's a promise that God gives us for power to walk uprightly. So my second promise to you today is I'm not just going to stop right at the offense of the cross. I'm not just going to stand here and spout out truth, get over it. I'm going to show you how the power of the cross can infuse your life. You can walk out of here changed. My two promises. So if you'll bear with me, give me the freedom to talk about the message of the cross. Let me pray. I thank you, Father God, for today. I just ask, God, again, this is something that you've been working out with me for a couple of, couple of months, God. Today's my day to preach your message, and I pray, God, that, that that would just happen, that your words would come in my mouth, and, God, that it would leave, that it wouldn't be Drew's opinion, but, Father, God, it would be straight from you. God, you have wrecked my life with this message, and you're continuing to do so, and you're continuing to show me how the power of the cross can change my life, not just in eternity, but can change my life here on this earth. And I pray that you would give me the wisdom and the speech and the anointing to be able to communicate that as well here. I thank you for today in your name. Amen. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the cross and back it up with scriptures. I'm going to talk, about, uh, uh, talk a little bit about how it's offensive, maybe uncomfortable, but then back it up with the promise. So here's the first one, the cross is an offense where salvation is found. The cross is an offense where salvation is found. Galatians 5.11 says this. Paul said, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. What? Here's the apostle Paul saying, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, if he were to say, if I weren't even to mention the cross, there'd be no one offended. There'd be no offense if, if I could talk about all the other things of God but not mention the cross, then me and me, we, we would get along. No one would be offended. No one would walk out on me. Well, why in the world would, would the cross be that one thing that people get mad and offended on? Why? Because, again, when we think about the narrative of the cross, and if I were to ask you, especially if you've grown up in church or around church or whatever, if I were to ask you that and say, well, what's the cross? What does that mean? A lot of, a lot of people would answer and say, well, the cross... That's where Jesus showed that he loved me. If I were to ask you even right now and say, why did God have to die? Why did he have to die? We get hung up on that. Well, 
He was on the cross because he loved me. Yes, that, that, that is true. But the only problem with that is that, again, we see all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, multiple incidences where Jesus showed just how much he loved. He went around doing good. He performed miracles. He loved people. He restored people. He did all these things. He hung out with children and hung out and, and, and just loved on them. They loved being around him. So he didn't have to die to show how much he loved us. He showed that through his life. So again, let's go back to the question of why did God have to die? Why did he have to do it? She began to think the reason why God had to die was because there was a problem. Follow down this rabbit trail with me. There was a problem. The primary reason that Jesus died wasn't because he necessarily loved us, although that was true. It's because he loved his father and his father, God the Father, was trying to fix the problem. The problem that he was trying to fix was called sin, which we've all committed. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned, me, you, people outside of this place, everybody has sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the problem with sin, which we've all committed, is that it brings death and separation from God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of our sin is death, separation from God. But to admit that there's sin means to admit there's also a standard of right or wrong. And this is where it gets offensive. Because when we start talking about sin, there is someone who has said what sin is. That means there's a standard. That means that there is someone who has said, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. There is no gray in between. And oh, by the way, the person who said that isn't me. That's offensive to me because I love to be right. I would love to sit there and look in the mirror and be able to tell myself, Drew, you are the man. You've got so much wisdom that you are able to say what is right and what's wrong and let's use logic. The only problem with that is that once I do that, I begin to set up myself to be God because I'm saying what is right, what is wrong, and I'm not him. I'm not God. But there's a part of me I want to be. And when we hear the message that there is sin, which means that there's a right, that there's a wrong. And once we start realizing there's a right and a wrong, that means there's somebody who put that in place. And once we realize that there's someone who put that in place and that's not, and we're not it, that's offensive because we want to be God. If we were truthful with ourselves, that's the issue. Even people who claim, I am an atheist, I do not believe that there is no God. Yes, you do. You're just it. You're God. Because you're the one who says, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, I'm going to determine it. That is offensive to say that each and every one of us in here are wrong. That's a hard message for me to stand up here as a minister of the gospel and tell you I'm wrong. To tell you that I'm a sinner. To tell you that even on this side of the cross... I still have to cling to its message to tell you that I don't have all the answers, to tell you that there are times I'm going to have to go to a power higher than me who wrote something higher than me to say, you know what? I, this is uncomfortable at times, but God's word is truth. There is a right. There is a wrong. It's not all relative. It's not all cultural. It's offensive. And so what do we do? As soon as we start preaching that, yes, there is a right and there is a wrong, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we get back, and I know I have, maybe you have as well, or maybe you've even said this, you said, ah, ah, no, how dare, do not judge me. Don't judge me. How dare you judge me? Even Jesus Christ said, don't judge. 
Yep. And let's, let's, let's go into the reason why he said don't judge. He told us not to judge because he's the judge. He said, you know what, Drew, I'm not going to put you in the seat. I'm not going to put you on the throne of being the judge because you're not worthy. But guess what? I am. And so it is not judging anyone to sit down in a loving and kind. That's important. Loving and kind. Spirit. And say, I'm not your judge, but I know who is. And he, actually, he, he, he has written down what's right and what's wrong. What you're doing is wrong. But you know what? I'm not pointing the finger at you because I'm not the judge. I'm sitting here with you. I'm sitting there identifying myself with you saying, I'm just as much of a sinner as you are. Let's find out what the scripture says. But to do that's offensive. The message of the cross is offensive. And here's how I know that we get offended. This is, these are the things that we'll say, that I've heard people say. We'll sit there and say, and I've heard this, God loves me just the way I am. Wrong. If he loved you just the way that you were, why did he send Jesus Christ to die for something that was wrong with us? God does not accept us just the way that we are. That cheapens the gospel and that cheapens God's love. God had an agenda when he sent Jesus Christ. There was something wrong with me. There was something wrong with you. What was wrong was sin, which caused separation, which caused death. And he said, you know what? I don't approve of the sin. And yes, I formed them in the womb, but they were born into a sin nature because Adam sinned. Let me find my scripture. I don't even know where it is. Here it is, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. God didn't make junk. But sin... We were born with that, and, and God said, I love them so much. I can't accept the sin. What am I going to do? I know I'm going to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross. But we'll sit there and say, God loves me just the way that I am. Mm-mm. That's not the narrative that we need to say. The narrative that we need to be actually speaking is that I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I can't do it on my own. I know I try to Put, I know I try to put lipstick on the pig, so to speak, and make it look nice and pretty, but I'm sinful. And God loved me anyway that he sent his son to change the one thing in me that he really didn't like, but he loved me anyway. That is love. That is the extent of God's love that he said, I will not spare anything for Drew Winters. I will even send my son to die to change the one thing about him that I cannot put up with. That is love. That is the gospel, and that is the message of the cross. But it's offensive to say that we're wrong. It's offensive to say that I'm sinful. But here's the promise. The promise is salvation. If you look at the original scripture, it says, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ, if we'll get over the offense in our life, if we'll, if we'll get over the offense that we don't, we don't set the standard for right and wrong, that God's word does, if we'll ever get past that, we will realize that there is a God that's just waiting for us to say, I agree. I agree with you, God. I'm sinful. But I also agree with the narrative that you sent your son to die. And here's the beautiful thing about God. Not only does he bring salvation to us, but every single title 
that comes with his nature. He doesn't just look at us. He doesn't look at me and say, there's Drew Winters. His identity is saved. Uh Uh-uh, he goes even better. He said, that's Drew Winters. That is my boy. That is my son. I've given him the spirit of adoption, and I've given him every spiritual blessing that is is in Jesus Christ I've given to him. I'm not going to withhold anything from him, because if if I'm not going to withhold my son, I I won't withhold anything from him here in this life. That is the promise. If we'll get past the fact that we don't have all the answers, that we are sinful, that the message of the cross, yes, is offensive to us because we don't like to be told that we're wrong, but waiting on the other side of that offense is God just going, you are my child, you are my son, you are my daughter. Lift up your head because I love you. And because you accepted the message of my son, you're mine. Not just for eternity, but here in this life as well. I walk around today, not as Drew Winters the sinner, even though I still sin. I walk around today, I'm Drew Winters. I am God's boy. That is the message of the cross. It's offensive. But man, the promise behind it is amazing. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That, you, that God raised him from the dead. So if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that means you also have to believe that at some point Jesus died. Why did he die? He died because there was a problem. That problem was sin. God wanted to fix the problem, so he sent his son. I'm not the author. I don't know the standard. I don't hold all the, all the answers, but I do believe in Jesus Christ. So yes, that is what I will confess. And oh, by the way, I'm also going to confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, which means he rules, he super rules, and he's the one who sets the standard, not me. That is salvation. That's salvation. The cross is where your options get narrow, but your freedom's found. The cross is where your options get narrow, but your freedom's found. First Timothy 2, 5 through 6 says this, For there is only one God and only one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life on the cross. Why? To purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. See how offensive this is? Jesus Christ made this claim about himself. John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You realize how, that's bold. Some would say that's arrogant, but it's not arrogance if you can back it up. If you can back up your talk, that's just truth. He can back up his talk. As for us, though, we live in this world where if you... Somebody just stands up and just lovingly speaks truth and says, there is one way to Jesus, there's one way to, to God, that's through Jesus Christ. You have, but what about these other religions? What about my own good works? I, I don't like that message, Drew. And in fact, I, I'm, I'm going to throw the trump card. The trump card is, how could, a, how could your loving God ever send someone to an eternity apart from him? Boom. Cool. The only problem is, let me, let me change that narrative for you. It's not so much that a loving God could send people 
to an eternity apart from him. That's not the narrative. The narrative, the, the narrative is how could a righteous God who is holy look down on sinful humanity who blew it and say, I know how I'm going to fix this. Hey, son, go die. That is the narrative. We're not looking at the glasses half empty. We're looking at the glasses overflowing because we are fortunate. We deserved death. We deserved judgment. But when it comes time that we stand before God at the end of days and he says, tell me about your life, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to say, I'm everything that you say that I am, I'm sinful. Let me tell you what else I am. Believe in your son, Jesus Christ. One way. It's amazing. It's amazing to me how access to a father can come through one son. But we live it out here in this world. Can I tell you, I've got one son, his name is Davis. That's my boy. This last week, Davis is playing soccer. He ain't scored a goal yet, not gonna lie. We're almost done and he ain't scored a goal. I want my boy to score a goal so bad. And when it happens, I'm probably going to be that parent who stands up and just dances around and like, look at my boy. I'm going to be that guy. I am. And my wife knows I am, so that's why she's like, so that's why she's like Drew, don't, don't make sure I'm not around when you do it. Let me tell you about Davis's coaches. This last Thursday, uh, Davis hadn't scored a goal because other boys on the team are a little bit more aggressive than he is. He's perfectly happy if he don't score a goal, but they're just a little bit more aggressive. Let me tell you what the coaches did this past Thursday. No, Tuesday, I'm sorry. This past Tuesday. It's getting toward the end of the season. Davis ain't scored a goal. Their team was up like five to nothing. I mean, they're just destroying this other kid's team, right? The coaches bring all the team around. They look at all the really, really good players who have already scored a goal, and they tell them, hey, guys, here's what you're going to do. Davis is going to score a goal today. So I want all you guys who have scored a goal, you're going to play defense in the back. Davis, you're going to be the only person on offense. You're the only person allowed to cross the halfway point. And I want every single boy to kick the ball to Davis because we're going to get Davis a goal. Can I just tell you, I don't even know those guys' last name, but they touched my heart because they honored my boy. If I were, if I were to get a call today, and they were to say, if, if I were to find out something was wrong with them, with those coaches, if they've gone through some personal tragedy, I'm going to stop everything that I can stop right now, and I'm going to go find out what's going on, and I'm going to take care of those guys because they honored my boy, because they moved heaven and earth to try to get my son to score a goal so he could have that moment of kicking a silly soccer ball in a goal that he can parade around as the man and his daddy can lose his mind. It's amazing how access to my heart as a father was through those guys honoring my boy. I mean, I was moved to tears that they would do that for him. Did David score a goal? No. Did they pull him aside? Did they pull the whole team aside afterwards and say, guys, we've only got a couple games left on the season. Let me tell you who's going to score a goal. We're going to make sure David scores a goal in the entire team was like, yeah, we're going to do it. You should have seen my boy. His, his back stood up a little bit straighter. His shoulders were a little bit broader because he realized, I'm going to do this. 
We see that in the natural, that if you honor the son, that's the access to a father's heart. Why can't we accept that in the spiritual? There's one way to the father. That's through Jesus Christ. And I know that's uncomfortable for some. But here's the beautiful promise. The beautiful promise is that if we would take that and make it personal to our lives, there's freedom. See, the apostle Paul said this. He said he gave his life to do what? For eternity? Yes, that's part of it. But to purchase freedom for everyone. If we would ever get over to the ever get over the past that there is an offense, that it's uncomfortable to realize that there is one way to God the Father. There is freedom that's been purchased for us. And notice how they didn't put a lid on what that freedom is. It didn't just say, hey, uh, you get freedom, so you get your uh, get-out-of-hell card free. You get to go to heaven. And while you pass go, make sure you collect your $200. It didn't say that. It said, you get freedom. What is it today that you're longing for freedom for? What is it today that you walked in with bondage in your life? Fears, worries, anxieties, pain past, those things that hold us down. Jesus Christ has purchased your freedom, and your ticket for that freedom is to say, Jesus Christ, you are the only way. There's no other option. I don't have anything else, but I've got you. You're it for me. You are my trump card. You are my only card that I'm going to play. Jesus Christ died for you and me. He offers us redemption. He offers us salvation, but he's the only way. But with that comes our freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was one of his primary goals. The cross is where we admit our true status in order to gain peace of mind. The cross is where, is where we admit our true status in order to gain peace of mind. Galatians 6, 14 says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. We love to think that we can do something. We love to have status. We love to walk in with all of a sudden in our head the song, you can tell everybody, you can tell everybody that I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Maybe it's not you, but that's how I roll. I will tell on myself. I love it. I love to think higher of myself than what I really am. And how it shows in my life is in the people that I hang out with and the things that I do and the clothes that I wear. Some people say, well, I don't do any of those things. Well, that's great, because you want to be known as the false humility man. Good job. There is an offense to realize when Jesus Christ said in John 15, 5, he had the audacity to look up and tell people, apart from me, you can do something, a little bit, nothing. You know what he was saying? He was saying, if you're going to accomplish anything, Drew Winters, worthwhile as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a minister, as a uh, small businessman, as an educator, if you're going to do anything worthwhile, you're going to have to connect to me every single day to do it. Because even on your best days, Drew, when you attempt to do something good and you make up a choice to do it, but you don't connect to me, it's amazing how eventually at some point it all just turns to dust. That hurts. 
to realize that even on my best days, when I attempt to make a good decision, that when I attempt to do something that's worthwhile, I look up at some point, I'm like, God, I can't do this. Jesus Christ, every part of me that's beautiful, every part of me that you have placed good things in my life, it's because of you. Do you think I had the wisdom on my own to marry that girl? You think I was that smart? Nope. Anna, stop laughing, because I know you know me since first grade, so stop. She's like, no, he don't. He didn't have that wisdom. It's amazing how when God brings things in our life, it's beautiful. Because he did it, and he is connected to it. But here's what I have to do. This is the offensive part, is to sit there and say, if I'm going to boast in anything, if I'm going to stand before you and tell you that's anything worthwhile in my life, I have to admit the fact that I didn't do it. Did I submit? Did I listen to God? Sure. But there came a time that I've got to stand before you and say, my life as you see it is not because I'm great. My life as you see it was full of weaknesses, full of holes in my life, full of poor choices. But the cross of Jesus Christ got me to the place in my life where he just came in. And if I'm going to boast in front of anything, I'm not going to boast and stand up here and boast and tell you about my great choices and tell you how I did this and tell you how I did that. I'm going to boast in a God who saw me and said, I'm going to love Drew. And I'm going to give him better than what he deserves. First Corinthians 2.9 says this. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind has fathomed what God has in store for those who love them. The life I now live, I did not have the capacity to dream up for myself. I didn't see that for myself. But God came in and said, I'm going to give him better than what he ever imagined. And if he takes it all away and all I have is my relationship with him, I still have better than what I deserve. Still, because I know what I deserve. But that's the offense, is we've got to get over that. We've got to get over the fact that apart from connecting with God daily in our lives and listening to his voice and inviting his presence in and asking him for wisdom, we really can't do a whole lot. It's offensive. But here is the beautiful promise that's attached to that. If we'll ever get to the point, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, he said uh, um, oh, Lord, lost my place, sorry. He said this, and I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the which the world has been crucified to me. He said, you know what? Here's the beautiful part about boasting about my weakness is that my problems now are not my problems. The world is dead to me because Jesus Christ has brought every good and perfect thing in my life. It is now no longer my, my responsibility to maintain it. My problems aren't my problems. My worries aren't my worries. The things that I struggle and, 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 and worry about and wonder is going to happen, the things I'm trying to make happen, my cares for tomorrow, my worries for today, they are no longer my issues to handle because there's someone greater in my life who's handling them. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because God has got everything in my life. So now I get to walk around the knowledge that someone greater, more powerful, bigger and stronger than me, he's got my life in the palm of his hand, and he can be trusted. That is the promise. It's amazing to me. I talked to you about Davis. This week, we picked up my boy from school. We asked him uh, in his parapro, uh, who, uh, uh, her name's Miss, her name's, well, I won't tell her name, uh, but uh, parapro uh, dropped him off in the car. 
And she said, he was, she was just a laughing. She said, you know, all Davis wanted to do today was hop. He woke up today and decided that today was going to be the day. That, it was just a hopping day. So he hopped everywhere he went. He didn't walk. He didn't run. He just hopped. And he was blissfully happy hopping. So that night, uh, my father-in-law and my uh, mother-in-law, they stopped in town. And we were just having dinner. And uh, my father-in-law said, um, uh, said, Davis, what'd you do today? I hopped. <laughs> my father-in-law made the comment. He goes, Drew, he goes, that boy ain't got a care in the world. What would it be like if you and I lived a life to where all we had to worry about was just hopping? <laughs> but you know what's so funny? That childlike faith is what God longs for us. Davis was able to focus on hopping for a day because he knew that his dad handled everything for him. He didn't worry about where he was going to eat, what he was going to wear, when he was going to eat. He didn't worry about those things. So he's just going to be childlike. I'm going to hop today. If we can ever get to the point that we can boast in our weaknesses and boast in things that we're not good at, we can fulfill that promise that the things of this life we don't have to worry about because there is a God who has us and all we have to worry about is just hopping because God's got us. Some of y'all are going to leave today and, hey, what Drew preach about hopping? <laughs> yes, I am. A dollar bill goes to each person who actually goes and eats at IHOP today. <laughs> <laughs> The cross is a place you find life through death. The cross is a place you find life through death. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Why is it that one of the hardest things spiritually for us to do is to realize that there's been an exchange that's taken place? We do exchanges all the time in the natural. If somebody, if, if dear great Aunt Ruth buys us a shirt for Christmas that we don't like, she gives us a gift receipt, we don't ha- she don't have to know that we go exchange that for something better. We do it all the time. If we, if we purchase something and we don't like it, we'll exchange it, which means we'll, get up, we'll give up what we have for what someone else has that we in our mind think is better. If you're doing business and someone says, hey, you got a business card. We exchange business cards. I give up information that I have because I want information that you have. We do that exchange all the time, but we struggle when we talk about an actual exchange spiritually because rest assured, we've already talked about sin, but there was an exchange that took place when we believed in Jesus Christ. Everything that we are not, which is a lot, we exchange for everything that Jesus Christ is, and that's a lot. That exchange, though, which sounds great on the surface, can be a little offensive to live out. It can be uncomfortable to live out. Here's the reason why. To admit that there's an exchange is to admit that there must be a change. If we have been crucified with Christ, and it's Christ who lives in us, there has to be some sort of change. Sometimes change happens instantaneously. Sometimes it takes a while. But there has to be some sort of change. You can't sit there and have an encounter with Jesus Christ and walk out and all of a sudden you're doing the exact same thing that you were doing. You can't. And to admit that there was an exchange admits that, you know what, there's got to be some sort of a change in me. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new's here. It's a little offensive and a little scary, a little uncomfortable to realize I've had this encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be perfect and nobody's suggesting that. But as I walk closer and closer with him, there's got to be some change. How many people can sit there and in your mind you can realize, you can think back to the places that you've changed and the areas that you've changed. You're not who you used to be. And you wish you could say, I wish I could say it was because of my goodness. But no, 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 no. It's because Jesus Christ is in me. To admit that there is an exchange is to admit that we couldn't do it ourselves. There is a message, and it's rooted in goodness. There's a message of self-help and self-empowerment that is filtering through our culture and through our church. And again, I've told you this wasn't going to be a culture piece or whatever, but I'm seeing it happen because you'll see seven steps to better you. You'll see, come to this church or whatever because we're going to take you to the next level. Be careful with that. We can't do it for ourselves because we have to admit that, there's a, that there was an exchange. Jesus Christ didn't come and say, wow, Drew, you look like you need a little help. Let me help you up. Oh, now you can walk. Go for it. Mm-mm. Jesus Christ looked at me and said, Drew, there's nothing in you that's good. But instead of trying to make you good, I'm going to give you me, and that's good. That's a totally different narrative than self-empowerment. It's offensive. It's uncomfortable. We don't like to hear it. But it's the message of the cross is that everything I'm not, he exchanged for everything he is, and I grateful for it. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. To admit that there is an exchange is to admit that sometimes our feelings lie to us. I don't know about you, but there are certain days I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like there's any exchange that's going on. If I'm stressed, if I've had a bad day, if someone has messed with me, if somebody is, uh, if, if, if my football team didn't win, which this, this year is not happening as much because we're going to SEC championship game, judging, right? Ha. If those things didn't happen, it's amazing how my feelings tell me, Drew, there's, there's no exchange in you. There's no exchange, but we've got to get to the point where we get past what our feelings tell us. The Apostle Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. He didn't say some days, I really feel spiritual. Some days, not so much. And on the days I don't feel so spiritual, psh, it's all good. Jesus Christ will come back. Mm-mm. Nope. We've got to realize, according to Romans chapter 12, that part of our process here in this, in this world, which, oh, by the way, is our spiritual act of worship, is the renewing of our mind is daily washing our mind in the truth of God's word to say, I don't care what I feel. I don't care what my feelings tell me. My feelings may tell me that I'm going to be angry today, but I'm going to wash my mind in God's word every single day who says that I'm not that, who says that I have taken on the very nature of Jesus Christ. I don't care what my feelings tell me. They may tell me right now that I'm supposed to sleep with that person outside of marriage, but I don't care what my feelings tell me. I'm not going to do it because the truth of God's word says that's wrong. I don't care what my feelings tell me. My feelings may be telling me right now that I'm not worthy, that my past is too big to overcome, that I'll never be more than what I've seen and what I've done. 
But you know what? I don't worry about my feelings. I'm going to focus on the truth and wash my mind in his word that every day is new and beautiful with him. You are going to have to get to the point that you stop living by your feelings and you live by faith. And before I sit there and point the finger at you, let me go and take a seat in that, in that seat right there and preach to myself because living that out is tough. Living that out is offensive. But it's worth it. Because freedom comes in Christ and his life begins his life through us. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. As you begin to live by faith as opposed to your feelings, it's amazing how you you actually get this close walk with Jesus. And there is nothing sweeter in this world. There's no money you could give me. There's no food you could put on my table. There's no football game that could be one that, that could ever compare with the experience of walking closely with your Savior. It's one thing to agree theologically. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe I'm going to heaven one day. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo! Right? It's another thing to sit there and wake up in the morning and you realize I'm walking closer with my Savior today. That is beautiful. That is Christ living throughout you. And that's the promise. If we'll live by faith and not by our feelings, Christ Jesus will live through us. Ben, would you come up, please? The last one. The cross is the place where you find your purpose through denial. The cross is the place you find your purpose through denial. Luke 9, 23 through 24 said this. It said, then he said to them all, this is Jesus Christ talking, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever wants to lose their life will find it. How dare Jesus Christ ask something of us? Who does he think he is? That can be an uncomfortable message to realize that Jesus Christ... He wants something from us. Does he love us? Mm -hmm. To know that Jesus Christ would ask me for my life. It's amazing how in the culture in those days, there was no middle ground between Christian and disciple. That once you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you became a disciple. I don't know where that got invented, that I'm a Christian, but yeah, I'm just not at the place where I can you know, do stuff for God. But Jesus loves me. This I know. For the song tells me to. Here's the beautiful part is, does Christ ask for our life in return? Mm -hmm. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must pick up their cross and follow me. And that sounds incredibly selfish on Jesus' part. I thought you came here to save my life, not ask for it back. But again, go back to the benefit. Go back to the promise. He said, if you'll take up your cross and suffer and deny yourself and walk with me daily, even though it's hard, you will find your life. I can't explain it. I wish I could somehow tell you with words what it's like to make the half-hearted attempt at least to deny yourself and to have Jesus come in and give you life and purpose here on this earth. But it's beautiful. But here's what happens. This is the best way I know how to describe it. When you take up your cross 
and you begin to follow him even though it hurts, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it asks you to do things that you don't necessarily intend on doing, even though you have to put up with people's uh, misunderstandings of you, look at that religious person, what's wrong with them, even though all those things happen, your life goes through this transition where it's, where it's no longer all about you, but it, it kind of all centers around Jesus Christ, and in somehow, way, you find your life. Life in this earth becomes so incredibly interesting, worthwhile, not easy, but incredibly beautiful when you say to Jesus Christ, I'm going to put everything I have into following you. And Jesus says, okay, here's your life back. Some of the biggest moments in my life, some of the mountaintop moments that I could never want to take back in a million years have come because Jesus Christ out of the blue has said, Drew, let me tell you what life really is about. Life isn't about getting stuff, so give that to me. Become my disciple and follow me. You think you have joy? Wait till you pour your life into others and you see the fruit that comes from sharing my gospel into others and you see people get it. There is nothing, there is no bigger days for me then when I get to walk into God's house and I see you have those God moments, I would rather have a moment like we had with this morning where Tammy just shares her heart about what God's doing in her life. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, stop everything because I'm at work. And I, and I get up here and I kind of mumble through it because I'm like, I hope I get this right. And people come down and there's tears flowing and people are being healed, restored, prayed for, promises renewed, hope, hope increased. I'd rather have that than for me to walk in the door and me be the one to get it. Because God somehow changed this incredibly selfish boy and put a new heart in him and gave me eyes to see. It gave me, taught me about what life really is. The cross is uncomfortable. Before you sit there and say, well, Drew, that's easy for you to preach today. Yeah, but I was the one who had to walk it out for about six to eight weeks. Just God would point stuff out, and I'm like, ooh, that's uncomfortable. Oh, it's uncomfortable. But he never gives us something that's offensive and uncomfortable without giving them a promise right after it. So what do I want today? How do we close today? Today's a gospel Sunday. We've got people from all over. We've got people who've been in church all their lives. We possibly have people here who, you don't know why, but you woke up and you said, you know what, I'm just going to step into church today. How I would like to close is this. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? My intent is not to embarrass, but my intent, my intent is to elicit a response to give you a chance to respond about the message of the cross. What I want to do is I'm going to read some of the points about the cross. And if you say, Drew, I identify with that today, all I'm going to ask is that you just stand in your seat. Stand where you are. Say, I, I just identify that. I've been in church for a while, but I need to identify with that point. I've never been to church. I just want to identify with that point.
The cross is an offense where salvation's found. Drew, today, that's me. I'm admitting the cross of Jesus Christ that there is sin. I'm admitting there's a right and a wrong and that Jesus Christ came to pay for that. If that is you, again, nobody's looking. This is just for you, between you and God. If that is you, would you stand right where you're at? Is there anybody? The cross is where your options get narrow, but your freedom's found. That was for you today. All I preach that your heart beat out of your chest. There, there is one way, and that's to Jesus Christ. That's you. Would you be willing to be so bold to stand in your seat? Amen. The cross is where we admit our true status in order to gain peace of mind. Who in here is trying to fight your own problems because you won't admit your status? You won't admit the truth. Who is that? Just as a sign of recognition. This is me today, Drew. No one else is looking around. Would you stand where you're at? Amen. The cross is the place where you find life through death. You've been crucified with Christ. But walking it out's been a little difficult. Who is that today? Who would say, Drew, that, that's, that's me today? Amen. The cross is the place where you find your purpose through denial. Drew, I admit, I've been following Christ, but it's time for me to pick up my cross and find God's life and purpose for me. Who is that? Amen. The moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us just to have it sealed. I know a day like today can be a little heavy. Maybe you've got questions. As soon as I get done praying, I'm going to have a couple of my altar ministry team, Cal Marsh, and a couple people just come up. They're just going to be available to ask questions. You don't have to use them if you don't want. If you just need some, I've got questions. This is where I'm at. We're just going to be after. We're going to hang on a couple minutes afterwards just so that you've got someone to talk to and pray with you. Let me have everyone stand. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just thank you so much for today. I praise you for your goodness. And God, the cross, there is a power in the cross, Father, in the message of the cross. And Father God, I just pray for my life that you would not let me filter or dilute the message of that power. I pray that as I leave today and as everyone else leaves today, Father, that we would be encouraged. For the P- anybody who is in here who the message of the cross was uncomfortable or offensive, Father God, I pray that they would leave more with your promise behind it than they would the offense. Let us always embrace the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for giving me your best in exchange for my worst. In your name, amen. Y'all have an incredible day. Go dogs.